back for an intriguing economics discussion with After Office Hours with the Sand Economic Forecaster. Today is July 15th, 2022, so be sure to check your calendar as the economic landscape may have shifted in this internet time machine. With the current economic climate, we may need to also start noting the time, but we'll draw the line here for today at least. To recap, we've had a pandemic, global changes throughout the labor market, supply chain, massive turmoil within the commodities market. We've had the introduction of a war, and at this point, the further list just becomes a little overwhelming. Let's just say it's been an action-packed couple of years, so left us all overwhelmed at times. We are now a month out from the publication of our June forecast, and there are a lot of things to talk through from getting from that publication to today. Before diving into current economic thoughts, let's see who's here today. My name is James McCafferty, and I serve as the general manager and publisher of the newsletter, but it's a team that makes the newsletter happen from outside partners and our center's own research staff. Dr. Hart Hodges is an economics professor at Western Washington University. Hart writes the regional forecast article and will occasionally contribute other articles based on the topics. Hart and I both co-direct the Center for Economic and Business Research at Western. Bethany King is our research economist and works with the switches and dials of many of our models while providing a wide array of insights into the forecast. Bethany writes many of the articles each quarter as well as the monthly updates for our digital subscribers. Okay. This past week, I've seen a massive increase in the amount of coverage related to inflation. There's probably a joke in there somewhere about the rampant inflation and in inflation coverage, but you probably didn't come here for the comedy. I have some questions. So Hart and Bethany, let's see how you'd answer these. Hart, I read that inflation's at nine some percent. Is it really? What should I be thinking when I read these numbers? I mean, sure, it's 9%, but you've got to ask uh, yourself, how is it measured? Uh, what does that 9% mean? A lot of the economic numbers that you, you get, whether it's inflation or GDP growth or something else, are annualized numbers. So we're, we're looking at a snapshot over a period of time. Uh, sometimes the data are from what happened last month to the month from the month prior, or sometimes it's what happened last month compared to the same month a year ago. Um, and then it's asking, okay, if this stuff, if those changes happened all year, what would the rate be? So annualized numbers is, is one thing. Uh, also, when you're getting headline news information on inflation, um, especially the CPI, Consumer Price Index, remember that it's a bundle of goods that the typical consumer purchases. Um, and that bundle has to change over time. So what's in the bundle is not a perfect description of what people actually buy. I mean, we didn't, we didn't buy too many cell phones decades ago uh, and not not too many 58 inch TVs and that sort of thing. So the bundle definitely changes. Um, housing and how housing a shelter has been included is a big factor. Uh, you know, we often comparing inflation today to what we had in the 80s. Uh, the way they included housing and shelter in that bundle was different then. So you'll hear some discussion about whether inflation is actually higher now than it was then and this and that. I think in the end, just say, yeah, inflation is roughly something. Prices are going up a lot. Um, finally, one more thing before I turn it over to Bethany is uh, core inflation versus headline. A lot of economists will take out food and energy because those things are so volatile. For example, James, you mentioned the 9% number. Well, since the time that came out, uh, this sort of gets into your intro as well, check the day. Uh, oil prices have come down rather sharply since then. So, um, yeah, it's 9%, but that's the start of the conversation, not the end. 
All right, so Bethany, it seems like there's multiple ways to measure inflation, right? So talk me through some of the more important ones that from your desk. Right, and we've seen a lot of confusion about this because there's a lot of different ways to measure inflation. So the one that makes headlines is usually the CPI, that's the Consumer Price Index, and that's the one that comes out from the uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics. Um, and that one tends to be one of the higher inflation measures. Um, and so that's based on a basket of goods, based on what most consumers are spending money on. Now, it includes a lot of different goods that you might not purchase every day, right? It includes used cars, it includes new cars, it includes rent, not everyone pays rent. Um, it includes lots, lots of different goods, and it measures the changes in the prices of those goods. Now there's the PCE, personal consumption expenditures, that comes from the Bureau of Economic Analysis. And that is the one that the Fed uses, um, and that tends to be a little bit lower. And the main way that this is different is, is that um, it looks, it considers substitution effects and how people are actually spending their money. So uh, for example, if the price of oranges go up, I might buy more apples because they're cheaper and I might make those substitutions um, or I might buy the store brand instead of the name brand, things like that. Um, and it captures more of these choices that consumers actually make um, when they go to the grocery store, when they spend money on things in general. And then the last one, the one that we actually participate in is the cost of living index, the, the COLE or whatever, however you wanna pronounce that. Um, but that's gonna be similar to the CPI in that it's a basket of goods um, and each are weighted differently based on what the typical consumer is spending money on. Um, but the, the main difference in, in that um, between the CPI is that it's taken at one point in time in several different cities versus um, averaged over time. The cost of living index at Bethany is always interesting to me because you're right, we participate in that, the one that's done by C2ER. Um, and we, that collects at the same data point over the entire country in a whole list of cities, looking at a, a fixed basket of goods, which allows some flexibility for substitution, right? The, 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 the least expensive loaf of bread versus this particular brand. They definitely give you different, different data points to look at. And I, as a consumer, I guess, as a listener to this show, really pay attention to which number you're looking at because they are very different numbers and they tell you different things. All right. Make sure, so, make sure to look at different numbers, not just one. Right, right. They, they teach you back in uh, fifth grade math, right? You got to give more than one point, two points to make a line. What, I don't know. Was that geometry? I, I lose track. All right. So, Bethany, this all makes sense to me, but tell me this. Does everyone experience inflation the same? Aren't there differences or nuances that are important? So there's a lot of differences in the way different people experience inflation. So we can throw out that 9% number and say, inflation was 9%, that's gonna look very different for vastly different people. So mostly it looks different for different income groups, but it can also vary based on age, where you live, things you buy, race, all sorts of things matter. So I'll give the example of myself. So I'm like an average income vegan who doesn't travel much. So my expenses have not increased by much. The costs of a can of beans has stayed the same. So my inflation rate is not much. I don't spend very much on gas. So my expenses have not increased that much. So that's me. Then if we compare it to someone who's, let's just say, a minimum wage worker who maybe has to travel a far distance for work because they have to work in a city, but live further from the city to be able to afford 
to live there, they might spend 25% of their income on gas. They might spend 50% of their income on rent and another 20% on groceries. And these are the goods that have really increased in price. So it's going to be more on the lower income spectrum where you're going to really have those impacts of inflation where people might be experiencing well over that 9% inflation that we're considering to be the average. I've seen some great calculators. I think the New York Times has one that you can actually put in some of your demographic information and it'll help forecast what your personal CPI might've been. Yeah. Margin of error on that, those I'm sure, but fascinating. Who knew that being a vegan would be a, a hedge against inflation, right? Oh yeah, it's it's really worked out for me well. <laughs> that, that, that I can see the bumper stickers coming out next week. That's perfect. Yeah. All right, so hey, Hart, the Fed's got to take action here, right? I mean, I, I read this week in the Wall Street Journal that, their economists there are expecting a 1% bump later this month, despite the fact that energy prices have fallen considerably, as you mentioned earlier. So my question for you is in two parts. 1%, really? Do you think 1%? And does this raise the expectation that we'll get pushed into a, a, a much larger t- class of recession? Well, that's not just two questions. That's changing the subject. Um, the, the, the 1%, I'm going with no. Uh, I think we might see another three quarter uh, of a percent or 75 basis point bump like we saw the last time from the Fed, which is a big, big move. Um, I think the Fed has to do something fairly noticeable or strong, whatever word you want to use. Uh, It's back to their their credibility story. Are we really doing all we can to fight inflation? I think the one percent would require really, really strong labor market numbers and even more data on inflation. But I, I, my guess, uh, and it's not a whole lot more than that, as you know, with the Fed, is that the drop in energy prices, the drop in gas prices that we're seeing right now, the number of headlines about firms pulling job offerings or openings off the table, I think there's just enough weakness that the Fed has to go strong to send the right signal, but 1% would probably be a, a little bit too much. So I'm I'm thinking 0.75, but you'd be shocked with this, but I've been wrong before on what the the Fed might do. As for a recession, I think that's the other reason uh, you might get 75 basis points instead of 100. The Fed has to worry about slowing the economy too much, hitting the brakes too hard. Consumer sentiment is deteriorating. We've got enough weakness globally and so on and so forth uh, that the odds of a recession keep going up. You know, we could go off on a long tangent about whether we're currently in some sort of a technical recession. Since the GDP numbers were negative for the first quarter, we're probably not going to see really strong numbers for the second quarter. It's, you know, but I, I don't think the National Bureau of Economic Research, the folks that get to say whether we're in a recession or not, are going to look back at the first half of this year and say, yes, a recession. There was just too much consumer spending, too much activity, too much going on for it to say that's a recession. So let's look farther out uh, later this year, beginning of next, and say, could these interest rate increases push us into a recession with such a nervous consumer? Yeah, it's possible. Uh, and I, but I think the Fed avoids the 1% for, for that reason. How's that for hedging my bets and not being too committed on your uh, on, on my answers? That was a solid two-handed economy. Oh yeah, answer. that's that yeah, was I got, perfect. I got that on the one hand. So the other. Let's 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 dwell a little bit on a re- on the concept of a recession for a moment, Hart. So, technically, 
we're probably in one right at this at this stage of the game technically based off a very narrow definition well that's the that's the old definition right the the old textbook definition was two consecutive quarters of a decline in gdp and we could we could see that but part of the reason that was set aside is it's uh, you know there's there's a little bit more to the economy more to consider i mean we we have seen weaker GDP numbers in part because inventories have been building. Uh, so it, it's, it's not like there's been some huge hit to the economy and that's why it shrunk. Look at the labor market, right? I mean, the firms are hiring. You can get a job if you want one. That, with that backdrop, it's hard to say we're in a recession. It's uh, definitely not recessions of the past. It's, so some, somebody's going to say we might be in a shallow technical recession I, and i hate trying to make distinctions like that I don't know, the, that's a nice NBA, nice hedging it, of the words though a technical shallow recession it sounds so so nice it's like a soft landing it's the same language that we're hearing uh, in other places all right so you mentioned consumer confidence heart and i really i think as we've talked um you know outside of this podcast one of our largest concerns about the economy is is the consumer. So you listening to this this show, you're our largest concern. Um, so let's talk consumer confidence for a minute. So consumer confidence is typically measured through the University of Michigan. They have a fantastic uh, time series on this. You can go on to Fred, and if you're not already looking for Fred, go online and explore Fred. It's a, it's a great side trip. Uh, but you can look at the the time series here on on consumer sentiment. Consumer sentiment's at an all-time low, pretty much. I mean, it's it's lower than 9-11. It's lower than really any other time we're going to want to talk about. So, Bethany, why are consumers so spooked? Bank balances are high. The labor market looks great. What gives? This is a great question that we're sort of struggling to answer because things look really good, right? The economy, many, many economic variables look good right now, but consumers are freaked out. And it's hard to pinpoint exactly what that is. Um, I would say one of the biggest things is that people just don't know what to expect. And they're hearing a, a mix of different information. They have no idea what's going on. Um, and that's freaking them out. They're seeing headlines that we may be in a recession, in a technical recession. We may see a recession in the future. One of the things that's happening is that the stock, the stock market is doing very poorly right now. And even though the stock market isn't the economy, um, people like to think it is. And they're, they're freaked out from that. They're freaked out from COVID. They're freaked out from war in Ukraine. They're freaked out from a lot of different things, even though the data doesn't really back up being freaked out. Now, the real concern is that freaked out consumers can cause a recession. If people start seeing headlines and seeing 9% inflation, they start tightening their belts. That's what's going to cause the recession. But Bethany, you were talking about the freaked out consumer. I actually have gotten some of these uh, surveys, and I didn't know how to how to respond. Uh, they're so poorly written, and so I I can put uh, that I'm worried, but there's nowhere for me to say I'm actually not worried about the labor market. I'm worried about the uh, my elected officials, or I'm not worried about the the price of a lot of things I buy because I'm not. I'm not shopping for a used car or jewelry or some of the other things that have gone up so much. So it is, I think you're right. I think it's a mix of all of the things that are causing the uncertainty and all the things that are causing a, a degree of angst, a lot of which have nothing to do with the labor market or what's happening at, at uh, you know, downtown stores. So it's, yeah. it's a lot to tease, lot to tease out of the data or 
wonder about. People can be freaked out about all sorts of things that don't have to do with the economy and it affects the economy. <laughs> exactly. All right, so along with consumer confidence goes retail, right? I mean, you got stuff you're talking about is retail behavior here. So Bethany, what, what do you think about our next retail forecast in light of inflation, recession, and consumer confidence? You know, we keep seeing consumer confidence be extremely poor and then retail sales keep going up. I think we've finally reached the point where the impacts of inflation are starting to actually hit people and actually impact their retail spending. So I think what we're going to be seeing next quarter is actually seeing retail falling. Wages are just not keeping up with inflation anymore. People are freaked out. Retail spending is going to be impacted finally, I think. But then we have to balance the fact that inflation is high, the price of goods are high. That should boost retail spending. Well, in a, yeah, in a, nom- in a nominal way. In a, in a nominal way. Not adjusting for inflation, we should see retail spending increase. But when we adjust for inflation, it might not be so good. It might come down and that's fine. And guess what? That's the point. That was the whole point of raising interest rates. That's the whole point of what the Fed is doing is to try to cool down the economy. And so people are going to see retail spending decline. And that's the whole point. That's what's supposed to happen. Well, and you mentioned the stock market. Uh, If people look at their 401k balances and go, oops, uh, they don't feel as wealthy. Uh, and might cut back for that if, that reason. And, and I think we're, we're reaching the, a point where we're far enough away from some of the COVID stimulus packages that some of that uh, extra money isn't there. So we, I mean, consumers have had a lot of money to spend for the last, last couple of years. And as that fades, retail numbers will come down a little bit as well. Art, did I read this week there's two some trillion dollars in uh, savings right now in the U.S.? Uh, yeah, and I would say not evenly distributed. Oh, for sure, <laughs> right? I mean, I, and that's the story of this whole this whole era right now. It's it's that dis- it's well, and yeah, the, the yeah the PPP money has has found a home, and it's found a home with with those able to save and invest. Right? You see it in home prices, you see it in stock prices, or <laughs> you used to see it in stock prices. Well, I think we're up a little bit. I'll check my watch. I think we're up a little bit today. And I saw retail spending last last month came out this morning and it said it was up 1%. But I think that is in nominal, not Absolutely in nominal. Yeah. yeah. So given inflation, it, it's hard to know if that's a real growth or just stagnant. And, you know, Bethany, you said something which I think needs to be put in bold, underline something. Um, not Comic Sans, though, because that's tacky. Um, but I think the fact is this is intentional, right? I mean, this this entire slowdown in the economy is intentional and it doesn't feel good. It's uh, it's the dip on the roller coaster. It's the slamming on your brakes in the car and you know, rolling down the freeway. It doesn't feel right. And so I think that, that makes more people freak out, which lends some thought then that when the, the feet come off the brakes as we, as we kind of come out of this, the soft landing as it were, things should pick up pretty quickly again. So, you know, the stock market should recover very quickly. Uh, and we should see a lot, a lot of those things kind of pick back up, but the, but the velocity of the economy will be a little bit slower. I, I think that, the velocity of that pickup in things like the stock market will be more, more modest, right? Not, not like we saw in 2020 with that sharp rebound because of the lack or, or reduction in PPP money, the, uh, the need to need to rebuild confidence. So I think it'd be, a, I'm not expecting sharp bounce backs in, in those things. Just to, to underscore that again, 
So one of the things that I've seen is you have interest rates have increased to combat inflation. One of the instantaneous effects that we see from that is higher mortgage rates. When we saw higher mortgage rates, the price of housing has begun to stabilize. And now people are, are concerned that the price of homes is starting to decline. That's directly the impact of the Fed's actions. That decline in housing prices, that is inflation stabilizing, coming back down. That's what that is. So if you see the economy slowing down, that is the Fed's action working. Yeah, and, it's, and Bethany, I think it's a good point because we should see home prices come down in certain markets. It's still not a 2007 sort of problem where they fell everywhere. You know, you're, you're just going to get more rational behavior. How does my income match up to this house price? And that's not a bad thing. Exactly. All right. So talk about housing. So that makes me go to construction. So Hart, let me ask you some initial thoughts on construction. Is construction more resilient in throughout this? The most recent data we've seen from Castle, um, and if your people are following us on our social media stream, we post that out um, as we see that as well. But Castle looks at uh, card key swipe data out of professional offices around the country. They have an index for 10 cities they do. Um, they've shown a pretty significant drop in return to office and, and, and have maintained a you know 40% and less uh, for a long time. So are we looking at large scale shifts that could impact construction here? Well, I'll back up and uh, partially avoid your question. Uh, you know, you asked, is construction more resilient, especially in the residential side? Yes, but for a peculiar reason. And, and it, the reason is the construction sector is not as large as it was, uh, say, 15 years ago, right? When, when we had the financial crisis and the real crunch in real estate, a lot of people left the housing construction market and it never rebounded to where it was. So there is, we have, and we haven't been building as many houses over the last decade plus. So there is a type of demand uh, that will continue. And there is a core group of employees, of, of laborers that will continue. So there is, a, I think, a type of resilience. There's also uncertainty. What would I do with my office building? Do I finish building it? What do I do with my existing office building? How do I renovate it, given the uncertainty of where hybrid work is going to take us. You know, James, you and I have been talking about the, the castle numbers, the card swipes, how many people are uh, going to the work on a, on a regular basis, if not daily. That's still going to take quite a while to sort out. Uh, and we've got another, another wave of, of COVID hitting right now. You know, that makes me soften my stance on how resilient is, is construction, just given the amount of uncertainty. So I, I think the core is resilient. Uh, I don't think there's gonna be uh, sharp bounces one direction or the other, just because of all, of all of the uncertainty. What would you add to this, Bethany? There is still plenty of money to be made in construction. Um, 2021 saw a huge number of housing permits and starts have not kept up. So there is plenty of momentum in the construction market. So many permits that have yet to become homes. And as we've discussed, housing prices are not coming down quickly. They are settling a little bit. So still plenty of money to be made. I wouldn't be concerned about the construction market. Well, the cost of building materials. Lumber came back down a little bit, but it's still expensive to build. So, I mean, builders have to be very cautious. Like you said, the permits are there, but that slowing we've been talking about, that intentional slowing means some of those permits 
sit as permits instead of starts uh, for a little bit. I mean, I was trying to describe a, a core resilience, not, not an exuberant market and not a depressed one. The commodities market really has uh, played a huge role in this for something that most people really don't pay attention to very much. I mean, it's for as much talk as we do about gas prices, and we've avoided that conversation point here today, but as much as Americans like to talk about gas prices, they really don't pay attention to the commodities market and how much of a role it plays. I mean, Hart, you talked about lumber. Uh, we could talk about the you know whole supply chain. But in regardless, my, 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 the next thing I wanted to ask you about is, is a little bit around that. So we've talked a lot of metrics today. We've, we've, we've shared a lot of different data points and hopefully you've got a note page as you listen to this that you're, you're, you're gonna go play online and, and look at the Federal Reserve's data sets and, and look at some data. I'm curious about which, which metrics the two of you kind of really pay attention to more than not. Um, what, what has your eye, what has your attention? So Bethany, do you want to go first? Do you want to share any kind of, what, what kind of data, data sets or metrics are you watching? One thing that I have been looking at that I don't think we've discussed so far is the labor force participation rate. No, that's my number. You can't. Darn. Yeah, okay, well, I'm going to steal your thunder and I'm going to talk about it. All right. So the labor force participation rate has ticked up significantly this quarter. And at first we might say, oh, that's fantastic. Lots of people are coming back to the workforce. Um, but that's also kind of a bad thing um, because people who left the workforce because they wanted to retire early, because they have kids to take care of, they're being forced back into the labor force. They didn't want to come back, but now they're being forced to come back because the price of goods has risen. Um, the cost of living has gone up. The value of their assets has gone down. That's what I'm really looking at. Right, Martin, she, did you have a second one on your well, list? Well, no, I mean, she, she stole the one because we hadn't talked about it. It is important. I mean, I, I was going to say a mix of labor force participation rate and a couple of other metrics because I, I want to keep monitoring the health of the labor market. Uh, I, I might add, wage growth on, on top of what Bethany was saying, because that's sort of crucial. We started with inflation at the, at the top of the podcast. I'll come back to that, looking at lots of different measures of inflation and trying to get a sense of when inflation has really peaked, right? Because there's not much difference right now on the yield of bonds that mature in say two years versus those that mature in 20 or 30 years. Uh, the, the jargon is that the yield curve is incredibly flat. Uh, and I'm keeping an eye on, on that in terms of what in, investors are, are seeing. And that's the maybe the money side of how spooked are consumers? What are people really thinking about that, that uh, possibility of a recession? So for me, got to keep an eye on a couple of metrics for the, for the labor market and then inflation and the yield curve. Can I have another one? They're free. You can have as many as you like. Okay. I'm going to have one more. So one thing that I want to look at. So as we've been talking about the sort of like technical recession thing, the first thing we're going to see happen is an uptick in unemployment insurance claims. That data, we it comes out right away. Um, it's the first thing that's going to go up if we see signs of, of, of an actual recession, I guess. Um, right now, a lot of our metrics look good. The labor market looks really good. Um, Really, who cares if GDP goes down? If people have jobs, it doesn't really matter that much. Um, and the one thing that I keep an eye on is unemployment insurance claims. Yeah, it's a good one. I noticed neither of you mentioned the value of the US dollar. So um, 
we're on oh, do par we get, with the do, euro all of a sudden. So it's a great do, time do, to do go we get Europe? to talk about a global recession. I mean, how? No, it's the, the it's a double edged sword, right? Uh, the uh, uh, the real strength of of the dollar right now against other currencies is is great for certain consumers uh, or in certain trade balances, and it makes it awfully hard uh, in other other ways. All right. I don't think we get out of this conversation today without bringing up our friend that doesn't seem to get the hint they should leave. The pandemic just keeps coming. The news is filled with BA5 stories now. Masks are coming back into fashion, or at least recommendation. For many, they're just over it, right? I mean, I keep reading articles. I'm just over it, like as if that's a that's an out somehow. Um, and they're just doing their thing. Uh, cases continue to rise. I, I saw some, some uh, data points last night that uh, hospitalization usage is, is back up and we're back to being having a nursing shortage, which is limiting hospital capacities. Um, Hart, where does the fall, what, what happens here? I mean, what does the fall hold from an economics perspective because of this? I mean, not only do we have BA5 we have to think about at this point, but we've got flu and all kinds of stuff that's, that's awaiting in the fall from a seasonal perspective. How do consumers deal with this? since they're already spooked i you know maybe masks become part of the back to school fall special and the new just the the new styles that we buy i don't know um no seriously it's um it, it's a very curious time right there was an article locally there was an article that uh, that peace health was really cutting back on the traveling nurses and and, and working back so thinking they could stabilize it, uh, in terms of their staffing, but boom, here we are with really sharp increases in number of cases. Uh, the number of hospitalizations aren't going up as fast, but they're going up uh, at, a, at a worrisome rate. Um, I think this ties back to part of what Bethany was saying, the, the, the freaked out consumer. It's, it's not just inflation or what you read in the news about Ukraine or something else. Um, we're still having lockdowns in China. We are ab about to have some cities, LA at the top of the list, who, who may come back with mask mandates. It's frustrating. It's expensive because it's disruptive to, to businesses in different ways. It's another curveball in terms of, you know, I, I thought I had a regular revenue stream by acting one way and I'm going to have to pivot again. It, it's economically disruptive. I think the biggest hit is going to be it's one more element or component of declining consumer sentiment. I think uh, I saw 13 counties in Washington state right now, it's recommended for indoor mask wearing. Uh, I think there's 17 and, counties. You know, and think, think of the pushback. You mentioned that people are just over it. And, and I was thinking about scheduling a lunch with somebody and I said, you know, there's a lot of, lot of cases. Uh, and the response was, doesn't bother me, I'm fully vaccinated. Right. You know, and then you know, you, you've got to explain to them, so is my wife double boosted. She's at home today. It's not so simple. Yeah, it's, it's, it gets complicated fast. Measuring the economic impact of things like camp getting closed early, um, you know, that's not going to show up in some of the metrics that we were highlighting, but it does add to frustration and it does add to consumer sentiment. Bethany, we create monthly updates, which are available to our online subscribers. In fact, I think those went up this week. What should I be looking forward to reading? Well, 
we did have monthly updates go out this week and we are seeing positive signs in the economy. Like we mentioned with consumer sentiments, the economy looks good. The only thing that looks bad is inflation. That, that's the only thing. Everything else is looking great. Our May numbers in particular look fantastic. We've got employment growing very quickly, really low unemployment insurance claims, all that jazz. I want to also remind people that the real estate index will also be coming out next week. And that's, that's a real fun one because there's lots to talk about in the real estate market right now. Cool. You know, I think it's, I think it's interesting because throughout the entire pandemic, we've had to say there's nothing fundamentally wrong with the economy. Um, and we're still kind of saying the same thing. I mean, other than, yeah, there's, you know, there's some sideshows, right? Inflation's high. Uh, we have a lot of consumer confidence questions. Um, but fundamentally, things aren't bad. Things are things are are stable and and showing positive traction. Yeah. So it's yeah, we've we've had accelerants and magnifying glasses, but it hasn't changed the structure. Right, for sure. All right. Well, this brings a close to this edition of After Office Hours for the Puget Sound Economic Forecaster. We encourage you to follow us on social media to have a front row seat of reading over our shoulder on a daily basis and learn about other ways to connect with us. You can also reach us via our website, cebr.ww.edu, or by email, cebr.ww.edu, with questions, comments, or if you're interested in having us speak at an event. After Office Hours with the Puget Sound Economic Forecaster is a production of the Center for Economic and Business Research at Western Washington University. We want to give a big shout out to our producer, Jill Poon, with KDMC, who makes us sound a lot better than we sound in the rough cut. Thank you, Jill, for all of your work. To learn more about the topics discussed today, please visit us at economicforecaster.com and subscribe to our quarterly newsletter. Subscribe to After Office Hours with the Puget Sound Economic Forecaster on Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Transistor, or wherever you listen to podcasts. From all of us at Western Washington University, have a great day and be sure to do your part to keep our region in the fast lane.